This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, a great advert for the Premier League at Anfield, if not a great advert for defending. As is now customary, Spurs let in three in 15 minutes away from home before somehow dragging it back in injury time and then somehow conceding a minute later. Also unpredictable, yet completely predictable. Jurgen Klopp will be icing his hamstring after Paul Tierney made it snap by just making some decisions. In games that really matter, Manchester City go top for the first time in months. A great chance for us all to say Pongo wearing out loud, while Newcastle and Manchester United look to have wrapped up the top four spots. Leeds fans call for everyone to be sacked after another humbling, this time at Bournemouth. Brighton rest their best players and hammer Wolves 6-0. There's another four for Roy's Palace and late heartbreak for Forest. Also today, another old firm win for Celtic. A bite-sized update on who's done what in the EFL. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Uh, the all-new Barney Ronnie, Welcome. Hi, Max. Uh, that's really good. Well done. And uh, and uh, yeah, we were really hoping for another Villa victory before Jordan came on. But of course, it couldn't happen. Jordan Jarrett, Brian, hello. So we'll get to Villa in a little bit, Max. I've got a quick bone to pick with the GFW, first of all. I've been in, with, what, I've with been, the whole podcast? The whole podcast. I've been, oh, informed, right, okay. I've been informed by various sources that I've been getting absolutely battered in, on previous <laughs> podcasts. And can I just ask... Can I at least be on the pod to say something ridiculous or disagreeable before? No, that is very fair. And the battered. Is that fair? It is noted. Okay. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, let's begin at Anfield then. Um, Liverpool 4, Tottenham 3. Matt says, is that peak Spursy? And if not, how could it get more Spursy? It's quite difficult to answer that question. Christian says, can Barney lead the inevitable exorcism to rid Spurs of the witch's curse? I feel his participation is a key ingredient in breaking the spell, having had the third eye vision to see what it is. And Paul says, has there ever been a game more committed to choosing the funniest possible path than Liverpool Spurs? And Barry, that's right, isn't it? Like, at every moment you were going, this 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 is this is as hilarious as a football match could be. Yeah, it was tremendously entertaining uh from the perspective of someone with no skin in the game and one suspects if you're a Liverpool fan, it was also tremendously entertaining. If you take out the first fifteen minutes, which I imagine Tottenham wish they could do for all games from now on and just play sixty five minutes, start in the sixteenth minute and, and carry on. They were actually quite good and probably should have won. But of course, you can take out the opening 15 minutes in which their absolutely slapstick defending led to them conceding three goals. It's like Christian Romero dives into an ill-advised tackle, tick. Uh, Nobody's marking Curtis Jones at the back post when Trent Alexander-Arnold sends in an entirely predictable inch-perfect cross, tick. Uh, ball to the byline Gakpo's pulled back to Luis Diaz there's two men on him he still manages to hook it in despite the fact I think it's his first start since October he should be rusty but no he isn't so Spurs you know before they've even caught a breath are 3-0 down and we're thinking oh Christ this this is going this is brilliant this is going to happen again and yeah they got got back into the game did pretty well got it back to 3 all. Richarlison, I think, is that his first Premier League goal for Spurs that's actually been allowed? Yep. Still not yep. convinced he actually touched the ball, but we'll give it to him. And he's he takes his shirt off, gives it 
you know, loads uh, standing on the advertising hoarding. And you're thinking, oh, fair play to them. They deserve that point for coming back. And then <laughs> they concede a goal, to, uh, which scored by a player who probably shouldn't have been on the pitch, let's face it. As Ryan Mason pointed out after the game, he shouldn't have been on the pitch, should have been sent off for that high boot on Oliver Skip. Although it could also be argued that Oliver Skip shouldn't have been on the pitch to receive that high boot in the face because of his foul on uh, Luis Diaz. But anyway, um, yeah, absolute comedy genius. You you couldn't script it. And then Jurgen Klopp's cameo where he pulled his hammy while rushing to gloat in the face of the fourth <laughs> fourth official after Liverpool had scored their winner. I'm not sure what the beef was there. And then his um, post-match conspiracy theory that Paul Tierney has it in for Liverpool and was rude to him when he gave him the yellow card. Uh, so, yeah, all, all grist to the entertainment mill, and it was a really fun game. But if you're a Spurs fan, you well, you are a Spurs fan, so you can tell us how you feel about it. Well, I just couldn't really believe. Ultimately, I don't mind, I think, because I'm <laughs> more of a Cambridge fan and our, where we are is more important right now. But I couldn't believe, Barney, that after 15 minutes again, they had conceded that many goals. It just seemed impossible. Like I think it, when Liverpool had a shot that didn't go in, it was like, that's sort of what happens normally in football matches. Yeah, I think you've hit an important point in the how funny are Spurs debate as well, because it is becoming formulaic. Like, yes, this is their sort of imperial phase. It's like when Morecambe and Wise were pulling 30 million people for their Christmas special on, you know, Seinfeld Series 6. Like, this is their funniest period. <laughs> but you probably find people who say they were funnier earlier on, who like the earlier... When you couldn't quite see the joke coming, when there were longer monologues, when it was a bit less managed and scripted, it's all very, very, it's kind of predictable. <laughs> you know the punchline's coming. Um, so there's a question of selling out. Are they still funny in, in the way they used they used to be? But, I mean, it's not, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, um, there have been a lot of debates in the week of um, whose fault is it? Uh, and if you're, I've noticed a lot of ex-pros will say the thing that, well, the players have to take responsibility because no matter what's happened in the management and the boardroom and all that kind of stuff, um, you can't be this bad. Uh, you can't give away goals like that. Um, there's a kind of level you have to kind of... But if you just look at the level of um, sort of disinterest, the fact that they appointed a director of football who's now been banned for football for corruption... <laughs> And he was the guy who was going to lead the revolution. He's literally been banned from football. And the case was coming. You could see it coming. It wasn't a surprise. It was, no, let's just hold on. It might be fine. I mean, even being implicated in that should have probably been enough to contingency plan. So the, the man who was going to lead the revolution has been banned for corruption. You appoint, appoint a manager and retain a manager who clearly hates the club. Conte just hated Spurs. He hated them. He would op openly say, I hate this team hate these hate the fans hate everything and then you keep his his uh, assistant on because you don't have a payoff and it's not surprising that things fall apart even before you get to the fact the team hasn't really been refreshed that there are players there who kind of were done at the end of Pochettino's time and are still there um it is it's a really it's a really shocking example of what management kind of means now in football because in so many ways Tottenham is a massive success the stadium's repaying its loans uh, you know, record time. It's fantastic. They've transformed a really 
weak asset into something that's made everybody connected with a club rich beyond their wildest dreams if you own shares. But the actual decisions have been so woolly and appalling. Uh, that's why we now have this sort of roving mobile comedy club, this com- comedy ep- industrialized comedy club. It's like live at the Apollo, you know. Can we still <laughs> laugh? Is Dave Chappelle still good? No, he's doing these massive gigs. I mean, it's that kind of discussion now rather than can Spurs finish fourth? Um, anyway, that's enough from me. No, no, that no, I agree. And it sort of means in 25 years when they do the reunion and they've all had lots of plastic surgery, that'll be Eric Dyer's face is like pasted back. That'll be a really exciting moment. Um, the one thing you don't want to get banned from really is football, isn't it? That's a really, of all the things, that's probably the worst thing for his professional development. Um, Jordan, um, sh- should did Ryan Mason have a point? Should Jota have been on the pitch when he kicked Oliver Skip in the head? Or is Barry right, you know, Oliver Skip's head... And the rest of his body shouldn't have been on the pitch either, because he should have been sent. <laughs> no, I, I think I think Ryan Mason is correct. I, I, I don't think he should have been on the pitch um, to, to be able to score that win. I don't understand quite how he escaped punishment there. Um, but just brief, just just my briefly on Spurs. I mean, I, this was particularly funny for me because I left work at three nil when it was Liverpool three, you know, Spurs nil. So I got home to find that they'd won the game, but. After blowing, a th- you know, after coming back from three goals down, so I love this new term of peak Spursiness, which is like this literally is peak Spursiness. And it was like the goal that Liverpool scored to win the game was like a well-worked passing move or a rocket from thirty-five yards. This Spurs gave the goal to actually Liverpool to score and win the game. That for me is literally peak Spursiness. I'm, I'm also of the mindset now that next year Spurs are going to win a treble. Because the amount of pain they've gone through this year and in previous years, as an Arsenal fan, I am it's sympathy now. I literally feel sorry for them because I'm I just can't get my head around the fact that a team could suffer or a fan base could suffer that much humiliation and that much awful football and that many, you know, embarrassing defeats. There's gotta be some good luck coming their way next year because it's just been like month after month, year after year of just complete humiliation. Um I do also think that Liverpool, despite winning the game, they have to kind of hold a little bit of criticism as well, but for giving away a three-goal lead to Spurs as well. So, you know, although I think, as Barry Barry Barney has pointed out, the comedy act here clearly is Spurs, I think Liverpool, there's, there's a lot of issues going on there as well. And yet, Barry, if anybody is to catch Manchester United in fourth, I guess you could argue Brighton, it's Brighton or Liverpool, but Liverpool... They still could, just about. It seems unlikely um, for that to happen. Manchester United have to lose games. Liverpool have to win all theirs. I mean, the comedy aspect aside, and I I know it's a bit of a reach, the the three early goals aside, Tottenham had, after that 15-minute spell, Tottenham had more chances. I mean, Kulusevski had a shot saved. They'd one cleared off the line. They hit the woodwork a couple of times. Uh, scored the three goals. If if you look past the objective hilarity of it all, uh, they they played quite well after that catastrophic opening. I I think Liverpool have left their late surge a little bit too late. It's possible they could nick that fourth spot, but I I can't see it happening. I can't. It would need a pretty significant Manchester United collapse, which I can't see coming. Jurgen Klopp pulling his hamstring was, you know, part of the comedy act, of course, Barney. But but again, running up to the fourth official, 
who was completely powerless in this situation anyway. So I sort of wonder if maybe having just a punch bag there would be more useful for everybody than a person uh, who's who has any link to the PGMOL. And then afterwards, critical of, of Paul Tierney saying, we have our history with Tierney. I really don't know what he has against us. He said there are no problems, but that cannot be true. How he looks at me, I don't understand it. In England, nobody has to clarify these situations. It's really tricky and hard to understand. What he said to me when he gave me the yellow card is not okay. But he won't tell us what... He said it was recorded because everything the officials say is recorded. There must be an incredible sort of vault of incredibly boring <laughs> tape somewhere with every single thing recorded. Is that a yellow card, Brian? Yeah, I think so. Um, the PGMOL is aware of the comments made by Jurgen Klopp. Match officials in the Premier League are recorded in all games. And having fully reviewed the audio of referee Paul Tini, we can confirm he acted in a professional manner throughout, including when issuing the caution to the Liverpool manager. So so do you think the tapes should be released, the tapes? And uh, and and do you think that Jurgen Klopp should get a bit more criticism than he does? Uh, what, for his sort of graceless touchline behaviour? I mean, possibly. I mean, he's, you know, all managers are particularly successful managers. You know, they're these really, uh, you know, they're a mix of the massively charismatic when they're winning and the massively awful when they're not that's just the yeah, i think you get to be a successful manager without having that side where at times you're just absolutely sick of these people and pep guardiola can behave pretty badly um jose jose Mourinho, you know um not always a nice man um i think it's just part of the the management thing um that you're sometimes you're shameless you just behave in ways that any normal person would be just oh my god what what am i doing but that's why He's a really good manager. I had an interesting discussion with um, with Jacob actually this weekend, where he posed the question that if you if you were to swap Klopp and Guardiola for the last two years, say when Liverpool have really been on a decline, they haven't bought the right players, what would things look like? And I obviously suggested he should write that article instantly because it would it would be the most read thing on the Guardian website in about five hundred years, and the hate the hate tweets would be just great to watch, but. I think all, all the stuff with Klopp is, I kind of agree with Gary Neville that he's done a really good job there and he's kind of covered elevated expectations for an ownership. You know, they're there to, to manage smartly and make a bit of money when they sell the club and he's been perfect for them. And now he's not really had the support you'd want. There's no space. If you sign the wrong player, that's it. You've got the wrong player. You, you've got to deal with it. Um, and there's not a great deal of space to manoeuvre. And it's starting to, after all this time there, it's starting to make him look a bit strange and, and you, you forget just how good he is. Um, I've got no sympathy for Klopp and uh, the minute he stops acting really weirdly and like an egomaniacal sort of man-child um, is when you need to start worrying about him as a top manager. I'm really excited to see how Liverpool next season and, and how Klopp can you know, build this team again because th- despite my early point being that I think conceding a three-goal lead to Spurs is not a good look for Liverpool... Uh, there, there is still the makings of a really good team there. If they can bring a couple of good midfielders in, it just reminded me at parts in the game that there's a really good team there with an amazing manager. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see if they can get that recruitment right in the summer and if, if Klopp can go again and really get muscle himself back into the, the top echelons of, of a title chase next season. Manchester City in our top of the league, unbeaten in 18. Um, you were there, Barney. It wasn't a, a classic. Did was was this city just doing enough slash conserving energy, or is it a sign that it the running won't be as straightforward as we perhaps think it all will be? Well, it was a good game. Uh, you know, it was really it was fun to watch, and Fulham were good. Uh, they gave City a better game than 
Liverpool, Arsenal and Bayern Munich have in the last few weeks. You know, they're, they're a really good team. They don't have big name players so much, but they're, they're really well organised. And, it, you know, there were times where City were kind of stretched and the goal was scored in a way that will interest City's future opponents because, you know, they, they do have theoretical weakness. You know, if you if you have John Stones stepping into midfield all the time, that leaves a John Stones-shaped space somewhere. And obviously City are aware of that and they cover for it and Rodri drops back in and they don't they don't plan on giving the ball away in this situation. So it's a it's a studied risk that they're really good at covering. But um Fulham did manage to score uh, via that route. They they got in quickly behind where Stones would have been. Um so that was interesting. And and Harlem was unbelievably he's so good these days. Like Guardiola really has improved him. I don't know how much we should attribute the um World Cup break to this, because obviously neither of them were there and a lot of stuff have happened. And City weren't good immediately after the World Cup. They lost a couple of games or they drew a couple. But as soon as they'd got into rhythm after that, they, they have been utterly transformed. And he has added things to Harland's game. Uh, Fulham had to have three players back because they left Harland up the pitch. And there were times where Fulham did press really high and put them under pressure. But there, Harland always added this kind of fear. Like at one point, he used to play the ball who ran straight at everyone. And they, they basically ran backwards. Trying to, I mean, his, <laughs> his, his speed is, is incredible. It's proper sprinter speed as well. My, my uncle was a sprinter. And he talks about Theo Walker having sprinter speed where you just don't see the effort. It's just in the stride. Like some people are really pumping, pumping. They can get, Holland's got the same thing. The stride doesn't change. He just goes. And yeah, it was it was quite something to watch. But they they were pushed a bit, but not that much. And and you felt they could have gone up again. They're just so good, um, basically. And I don't see them I don't see them losing or drawing a game for the rest of the season in any competition, personally. Um, was Uncle Ronnie an, an Olymp- Olympian, Commonwealth Games, a, a Birchfield Harrier? At what level of sprinting? Oh, well, he ran for Great Britain. Um, and he was going to, he was going to, he's my great uncle actually, and he was going to go to the, uh, I think, Mexico Olympics, but he tore his hamstring and that was like the end for him. It was sort of, you know. Was he berating he was, Paul Tierney? Is that, is that how he did it? <laughs> well, I didn't want to get into it, but the relationship with Paul has been strange. Um, and, you know, I've said too much. I've already said too much. <laughs> um, the winner from Julian Alvarez is, is brilliant, Barry. It's an interesting question from Jim saying, if you were Julian Alvarez, how long would you be happy playing second fiddle to Haaland? when you're clearly a very good top-flight striker in your own right, is being part of a successful squad enough or would you crave being the main man? Personally, I would be happy enough playing second fiddle to Haaland if I was in Julian Alvarez's position, but then I have no ambition whatsoever. Are you saying you generally play second fiddle? on in, in Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite happy to play second fiddle. Uh, squad player... Uh, yeah, and I don't get upset if I'm not selected for various things, uh, for, you know. Um, but I suppose if you're happy in, in your environment, you're training every day with good players, you're getting fairly regular minutes, you're scoring goals, you're on brilliant money, you've already got a World Cup medal in your back pocket, I would be content. I can't speak for Julian Alvarez, but I presume he knew when he went there that that was kind of going to be, you know, how it would, things would work out. Uh, so he seems perfectly content. But most Manchester City players do. 
Um, it's very rarely anyone agitates for a move away from Manchester City. Yeah. I guess Cancelo got chippy, didn't he, recently? But you're right, it is rare. Did Leroy Sané agitate for a move or was he sort of given the heave-ho? I can't remember. But anyway, my point is, it is extremely rare that any player at City under Guardiola agitates for a move away. I presume that's a lot to do with the amount of money they're earning, the fact that they're surrounded by brilliant players and the fact that they're winning things. I mean, I think in, of the current crop, if I was Calvin Phillips, I'd be kind of unhappy there. He doesn't seem to be getting much of a look in at all. And Guardiola has been quite critical of him on a couple of occasions this season, once saying calling him out for being overweight and then more recently saying that he hasn't quite got it yet, you know, uh, that in terms of playing for City. Uh, I could see him possibly moving in the summer. But, um, yeah, I, I think Alvarez is probably quite content. Um, Haaland's overtaken Clive Allen's record of 49 goals, now scored the most goals by a top-five player for 92 years since Pongo Waring reached 50 for Aston Villa in 1930-31. Presumably Jordan thinks he was a fraud because he did it in an Aston Villa shirt. Uh, it feels a great shame we haven't, unless everyone, anyone is an expert on Pongo wearing. I'm sure Jonathan Wilson will uh, um, uh, tell us all about him the next time he's on. Pep looked vaguely interested about the stat being that Pongo Waring uh, scored these goals before Churchill was prime minister. Um, uh, all right, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin in Bournemouth. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Lots of goals in this part, starting at the Vitality. Bournemouth 4, Leeds 1. Paperless Billings, Bournemouth going from strength to strength, Barney. And the weird thing about this game, Baz, I thought Leeds started, I've said this so many times, I thought they started really well first 20 minutes. But once once Jeff, Jefferson Lerma scored, lovely finish, that was kind of it. Yeah, Leeds were all over them um, until Bournemouth scored that goal very much against the run of play. It was a really nice finish from Lerma, curled home after uh, Philip Billings' shot was blocked. And, yeah, it just got another collapse from Leeds, basically, who um, have now lost four and drawn one of their last five games and conceded 18 goals. That's far too many goals. And if they don't sort that out very quickly, they will go down. Um because if you're conceding three, four or five goals a game, you're not going to win any games. You're not going to draw any games. Uh, and it's where I, I honestly thought uh, Javi Grazia was doing a... I think he started quite well and he seemed to have sorted... Started okay, yeah. Seemed to have sorted them out and getting the ball wide to wingers and they were pinging them into the box and Leeds were scoring goals. And I thought, oh yeah, they'll be okay. But it's quite alarming how, how everything's gone totally pear-shaped for them uh the defense if anything has got worse and the fans are furious with the owner with well with everyone the players and though i saw a clip on on twitter this morning and it's not you know you don't want to read too much into these things but it was Leeds players leaving their hotel presumably to go to the game so this is before they've lost and there's a handful of fans there, kids, dads, whatever, waiting to, to get autographs. And every single player studiously ignored them uh, as they walked out of the hotel to get on the bus and they've all got their headphones on. They're all looking at their phones. And that that wouldn't have happened under Marcelo Bielsa. You know, he, he insisted players made time for fans. He made time for fans. And these guys seem to 
be a bit too big for the boots now, and they have no reason to be on the evidence of their performances. Yeah, I, that, I mean, there was another clip going around on China. You shouldn't read too much into it. Where another clip of Mies plays going off the bus, where they walk past an entire rucksack full of kittens, and every single one of them, as they walk past, kick the bag of kittens. <laughs> and that was something Bielsa was told. He was very. I mean, I don't know how much you should read into. It things like that but I think Barry is really right to dig into Leeds stats because then there's some really interesting the, the, the sort of underlying metrics if you were if you're digging into Leeds like do I want to buy this company and your accountants trawled through their season you'd say my god this thing is this thing is just about staying afloat I mean they Leeds got a quarter of all the points they've got in the league just under a quarter in their opening three games of the season back in August they have been terrible but this month they've lost 4-1 5-1 6-1 and 4-1 um a third of all the points they've got in the league this season have come in games against Wolves and Southampton but they they really haven't been very good at all and it's um uh, uh, uh my other stat is that 18 players in their squad have made 10 or more league starts which is really strange I think Arsenal's number is 13 obviously they've been very but that, that's a lot of people coming in and out uh, to not much effect. Um, they, they really they really are um, some kind of fairly ropey teams down there, and Leeds, Leeds are one of them. They're, I think they're really quite lucky not to be falling away at the bottom of the, of the division. Um, and, and by contrast, um, Scott Parker left Bournemouth because he said that the squad um, was just too weak to compete. And Bournemouth are now level on points with the highest spending team in Europe. Like Chelsea, they're level on points with Chelsea. Like apparently the squad's so bad that they can't, they just can't compete. But you know, here they are competing with the team that's paying, uh, you know, sixty million for Mudrick. Um, so Gary O'Neill um, is obviously doing a fantastic job. Um, I don't know if you saw his brilliant interview with um, Jonathan Northcross in the Sunday Times, where he talked about fighting the. Ne it was the it was the metric system version of Al Pacino. Uh, in any given Sunday, he talks about fighting for the next centimeter. We fight for the next centimeter. Ah, good. But just each centimeter, just be careful, lads, because it might be an important centimeter. Yeah, you can't see um, you can't see Pacino playing uh, O'Neill, can you? I mean, it's sort of more likely to be like Mackenzie Crook or someone who wouldn't deliver that. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be Pacino against type. You know, and the, they wear a kind of suit and like plap. And you don't even know it's him. And he's not. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be big. I'm going to be down Gary O'Neill, you know. That would be, I'd, I'd pay to watch that. You, you can imagine Lewis Cook dying for that fucking <laughs> centimetre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. One player who isn't playing particularly well, Jordan, is Ilan Meslier. Mistake for the second. The fourth went through him. He's having a terrible, you sort of think it would be nicer to give him a couple of games off, you know. But Max, he's not, he, this isn't even just a, a poor run. I don't think he's a Premier League goalkeeper. This is like a couple of years now. I've been watching him and thinking he must be amazing in training because I just don't. He makes the amount of mistakes he makes over the over the couple of years I've been watching him. I, I just I just don't I just don't get it. So this for me isn't a mistake as, as isolated or a bad run of you know a bad run of form. He, he's been making mistakes for a long, long time, and it just makes leads me to the conclusion that. He's just not a Premier League level goalkeeper. And if Leeds are serious about really, you know, if they do survive this season, if they're serious about wanting to shoot up the table and do better next season, I think they've got to replace him. 
but you know multiple managers now have have, have kept with him so he, he's showing something and the Leeds fans I've spoken to as well the last couple of few months about him they rate him they really really think he's a good goalkeeper but I'm like dude he just he, he, he's not <laughs> he's just not but I think that I don't I'm not sure this discussion with Misley is appropriate I mean he's 12 years old just just that is true. <laughs> it's not really fair to talk about him in these terms. It's sort of yeah. good point. inappropriate. The Leeds United Supporters Advisory Board have issued a statement of no confidence in the manager and the board. With four games left, the situation is no longer sustainable. The narrow escape from relegation last season should have been the catalyst for a season of growth, but the season has now turned into a humiliating disaster. To pull on that famous white shirt is something that us fans can only dream of, yet it seems some of the squad don't have the fight for this battle. We're therefore asking for immediate changes to be made to the first team coach and to those responsible for the recruitment of managers and players who've been bought in the last 14 months. Is this a bit too late, Barry? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure changing the manager now is going to help. I mean, the thing is, they're not actually in the relegation zone. They might be in it tomorrow, uh, depending on how... I think they, I think they, I think they definitely will be tomorrow. I think whatever happens... Okay, right. The, okay. Less Reverton Fair game. enough. You just lost 4-1 to Bournemouth. Like, that... There's there's warning uh, signs there. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not claiming they're they're doing well, but uh, <laughs> if if you do decide to to sack the manager, who who are we getting in? Do we have an interim? Well, the current manager is the manager you buy from the manager shop, isn't he? You go in. We need a manager, and they say, well, we've we've got this. I mean, he he looks like a manager. He's got some manager face and says things, and he's got some name that you vague. I mean, what? I'm sure the search was extensive and all kinds of things about cultural fit were. But honestly, I'm sure there are other managers hanging just on pegs, waiting to be managers. People forgot to pick up from their dry cleaning shop. You could just say, well, I'll have that one. He looks like a manager too. Let, <laughs> let me take you to the Kerbishley room. And it's just, you know, Alan Pardew and they're all just sitting around going, you know, sort of being just sort of like dust, dusted down. You can shake them and dust them down. Neil Warnock, they, they constantly, people keep going in and taking Neil Warnock and the others are looking around going, why can't you take me? Pick me, pick me. I mean, oh, there is a, this may be a stupid question. I don't know. But if they did somehow get Bielsa back for these four games, it would change like the absolute feeling amongst the Leeds fans. I'm not saying it would make a difference, but it would be, it would be great fun, wouldn't it? Anyway, let's do um, uh, Brentford Forest. Heartbreak, Jordan, for Nottingham Forest. 1-0 up, eight minutes left, and they blew it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in big trouble. I, I actually think that the bottom three, as is, will go down. So I think Forest will stay. I mean, there's a big game tonight, a recording between Leicester and Everton. Um, we'll see what happens there. But I, I think it was heartbreak for Forest. But I actually think there's a couple of fixtures, if I'm not mistaken, coming up for Forest, where I think there's points there. I think they've, they've got Southampton and Chelsea next, um, their next two matches. And I, I, I think there's I think there's a win between those two, maybe even four points between those two fixtures. So despite the disappointment of, of yesterday's game, um, I, I, I don't think it will be terminal for them. Um They've not. If I'm, I could be wrong here, Max, but they've not been battered in any, any games this season, have they? I don't, I don't remember Forest being, you know, losing games massively this season. They seem to have been in, been in games. Well, I think they lost six 0 to City, I think. But that was was that six 0 Was that them? But I mean, it's City, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. 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 I, I take that one. But they, they, yeah, they're, unlike Leeds and and Everton and other teams around them, they've not been battered. So I, I think. They will be disappointed, but I think they will be okay. Uh, we're talking about Melier there, Barry. Um, Kalo Navas, I thought, it's a sort of random goalkeeper where he can pull off amazing saves and then let in things he probably shouldn't let in. I thought he could have 
maybe save both those. I think it's harsh to blame him. Uh, I would be pointing my big finger of blame at Czechoquote, who went AWOL from the defensive wall for the Ivan Tony free kick. So Navas shouldn't have had to even dive in that direction uh, because uh, Coyote should have blocked the the shot, but he, he just wandered away from the wall. And then he failed to... Closed down Josh De Silva, who picked up the ball on the right, cut inside and scored. It was two very soft goals that Forrest let in and two very avoidable goals. Uh, Navas probably could have done better for the second one, but I wouldn't blame him for the first one. So, sorry, I wanted to kind of just uh, mention Ivan Tony. Uh, he's got uh, 20 goals this season, which I think is a massive achievement for him. But... And the point's been made, this this whole betting um, situation that surrounds him, it's gonna, I, I think it's probably going to do him out of a big move this summer. I just, I just I can't help but think there are teams that would like to take him and sign him this summer, but are just waiting and just apprehensive about going in for him because of the ban that he's likely to receive. So, you know, phenomenal season for him. I think it's worth a mention for him coming through the leagues and doing, you know, Jamie Vardy, yes, coming through the leagues and doing very, very well. But I just can't help but think that he's, a bigger move for him, he may miss the boat now because of, of what's looming. I think that really stinks as well because I think, um, uh, you know, he's clearly needs help rather than a ban. And if, you're, if you've got that many charges against you, you, you're doing too much gambling. You're in a profession where you shouldn't gamble at all. And he's, he's played at stadiums, in clubs, in shirts that are just plastered with gambling constantly. Um, and then football looks to us. Well, hang on, he he appears to be interested in betting. Like, why do you think that is? And and I agree with Jordan. I, I've always liked Ivan Tony. I remember seeing him play for, um, God, who was he playing for? Someone in in League One when he played against Millwall in the played Peterborough. Played for Peterborough. No, it wasn't Peterborough. It was someone else. Um, anyway, he was given terrible grief by the fans because he was a he was flicks and turns and perfect, and also because they give everyone grief. And, but he was great, and he absolutely sort of stood up to it and played really well. And you thought, wow, this guy is actually just, he doesn't care. He's, he's going to, he's going to, it was after he'd left Newcastle, and you just thought, he's going to go back up through the league. You can see it. And he kind of did it the hard way. And uh, I think he's a great guy, and I think he's a really good player. And I think that football should be saying, why is one of these, why is one of our pros got a problem with gambling? And is it something to do with us? As well as punishing, obviously, because you can't the game falls apart if everyone's betting on games. But he'll get to stay in Brentford, which is no bad thing because he's clearly very happy there, and the manager loves him. Could have been Barnsley, Shrewsbury, Scunthorpe, or Wigan. I think it was Scunthorpe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, it's not a. It is a good point, and probably less importantly, Barry's big finger of blame would be great for live shows. So you know. We'll get the props department onto it. The bigger the finger, the more fun. The more fun the feature. Uh, Brighton beat Wolves six nil. Uh, my friend Paul Merson, and he always says it. You know, they only remember the things you say when they don't age well. Jordan, he said on Deserby resting players, including Matoma, McAllister, and Caicedo. The only thing I can think is that he is Deserby doesn't think they're ready for Europe. The Europa Conference, my Vets team are in that. That's the only way I can look at it. How can you look at it any other way? They've rested five players, their best five players. And I know Wolves weren't up to much, but they did win 6 <laughs> 0. Yeah, what words come back to haunt him? Um, 
I, I, I just think this is this is this is a this is a reflection on how good a manager this Herbie is. That you can rest. If you think about any team in world football, you take out your best five players, and yet the caveat is Wolves were absolutely awful. You take out your best five players, and you still win six nil. You're doing you're doing something something very very well there. Um, I, I think some of those players will be leaving um, in, in the summer, um, but as we've seen in the last couple of years, it doesn't seem to. Um, help uh, you know um, dis- dis- derail Brighton. In fact, if anything, they they get better. Um, we we all said before the season started that there'll be some weird results this season in the Premier League because of the World Cup. And I just I just even the, the, the back to the Spurs Liverpool game, there has been some really bonkers results and and games this season. I just wonder how much the one of the World Cup was a few months ago now, but there's been some weird results this year. And Brighton beating Wolves six nil. That for me is in the weird category. I mean, Brighton don't beat anybody six nil, um, so, so this was a weird one for me. But I think they'll look back and rue the fact that they had a really good chance of of, of getting top four. I, I don't think they'll get it now, um, but it's been a great season for Brighton nonetheless. Yeah, such a nice sunny day, such an end of season feel. Jackie Oatley, friend of the pod, uh, Wolves fan, was on international commentary and was incredibly professional as her beloved Wolves just fell apart during this game. Um, yeah, Pascal Gross' volley was brilliant. No points in headers and volleys because he set himself up, but it was brilliant. Uh, Dennis Undav's chip or dink was an utter, utter delight. Yeah, that that was the sort of goal. This, this is the kind of goal people score when they think they're offside, so they just do that. Um, it, it was so relaxed and kind of ridiculous. I, I, I mean, Tizovi, um, he is something... I'm trying to think what he reminds me of. It's, he looks like the young John Cusack, I've realised. He's got that same kind of... If I were to walk late at night uh, down Barry's Road and Deservey was standing outside his flat holding a boombox over his head, playing music, uh, while Barry probably shot him back with a water pistol, I wouldn't be... At first, I'd think that's a bit weird, but then I'd probably think about it and kind of understand, you know, he... But he, he, um, he just has something completely nutso about him, doesn't he? If you were a player, you'd be so sort of inspired by his spirit he's totally um he's totally living every second very much like the young john cusack in that well the young john cusack never made any bad movies i mean john cusack didn't make a bad movie till he was i'd say well into his 40s so what era cusack are we talking for deserby well this this is young john cusack where so he'd be deserby would be outside my house wearing a trench coat holding up a Boombox playing Peter Gabriel's what song is it? I can't remember. Sledgehammer? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> your your life, something like that. <laughs> but, uh, I'm 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 curious to know why Barney thinks Robert Roberto Deserbi will be serenading me in the middle of the night. It's not so much serenading, it's just a declaration of intent, isn't it? It's a declaration of and it's incredibly moving, incredibly Erotic, irresistible. That was it. Was say anything, wasn't it? In your eyes, in in your in eyes, your eyes that's Peter it. Gabriel is what Deserby will be playing to Barry as he woos him in a trench coat. Um, that feels a good time to end part two. Part three will be at Selhurst Park. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Palace four, West Ham three. James says, who's going to apologise to Roy Hodgson first? Barney, we were talking about this before the pod. I was totally wrong. I've said it already, but 
And then wrong again, because last week we suggested that Roy Hodgson's free-scoring Palace had come to an end with a couple of uh, uh, games where they didn't score. And then they went and scored four again. The all-new Roy. He's just going to grow his hair out and just be freewheeling for the rest of the time. I want him to stay. Well, that that mustn't happen because, I mean, thinking, being wrong about Roy is part of the whole... Everyone was wrong. Everyone said, what on earth are you doing? It's just going to be terrible. And that's what makes it so glorious. But obviously, staying would be terrible. It's just, this is just great. This is the final, you know, blast of summer and just how you want to remember Roy and Ray. Um, he's just he's just having such a good time. Um, there was this, there was that great moment. There's one of the goals when, and I think it was says, uh, I can't remember which goal it was. Um, he was there, berating, like talking with the animators of the fourth. He just lost in the moment. He wasn't even watching the game. Um, and he's he's got that thing of guys who like, I was saying to you, he, who are like uh, constantly angry, but constantly sort of apologetic. You know, I'm, but like you know, if, if I'm wrong, fair enough. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't like to get that wrong. Do you think I'm wrong? If I'm going too far. And he's just lost in the moment completely. It's just such a joy to watch. And he's totally identified correctly, because he's a very good football manager, the Palace have those three or four very good attacking players. And he's made Michael Leeson like the fantastic player that he is. Um, all of those forward players just look brilliant. You know, he, he was really into Eze when he was there first time. I remember going to the games and Ray would just shout constantly. His whole project was to shout, just to shout at Eze really dead is like you know there was overbearing dad in the world but in a premier league game just try, get him in the right places because they obviously loved him and thought this guy is brilliant um and uh it's just a joy to watch isn't it those young young players two old blokes on the touchline it's, it's a great story and yet barry i, I felt this was qu- quite a boring 4-3 i mean it obviously wasn't boring because there were seven goals but it wasn't like a it feel like a, a seven goal thriller to me Right, that's strange. I, I loved this game. I really enjoyed it. I was doing the minute by minute. And normally if it's that busy, you're sort of in a bit of a tiz because you're trying to keep up. But it was just nicely paced. I don't think it was as close as the scoreline suggests. I think Crystal Palace... Yes, yes, yeah. that's what I meant. It's also less jeopardy than I than a 4-3 yeah, sound. Crystal Palace were always pretty much in control. West Ham obviously scored from three set pieces. Thomas Suchek involved in them all. And then he was involved in probably the softest goal uh, West Ham conceded, which is when I can't remember who played him a bit of a hospital pass. He had his he was facing the wrong way and in front of his own goal and got robbed by uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, who who finished tidily. But um, yeah, I I would agree with you that the the, the game wasn't as close as the scoreline suggests, and West Ham probably didn't really deserve anything but there's a real end of term feel about this one and you know West Ham have two games against the the two Manchester sides coming up so they're still right in it aren't they the you know they're not they could have done with a point at least here Newcastle three Southampton one it was a glimmer of hope for Southampton Jordan but they're they're pretty much done while Callum Wilson came off the bench scored another two What's his current on-the-plane status? I mean, he's playing so brilliantly at the moment, isn't he? Yes, Wilson, he's... he's um, he, I've always liked Callum Wilson. He's a real good finisher. I, I really love his movement. Um, he looks like a number nine. He look, That sounds like a weird thing to say, but he looks like a centre-forward. Um, no, I Do you know it. what I mean? Um, I just think it's always been a, hmm. a case of, you know, can he play 10 games in a row? Um, and the answer 
in recent times has always been no. So I think that's the only thing that can really prevent him from being the natural number nine or the natural choice behind Kane for for for, for England. I'm really I've been really impressed and surprised by how well Newcastle have done this year. If they finished third, that is I know a lot of people preseason were saying they think Newcastle should be getting into Europe minimum. I I, I wasn't I wasn't on that trend. I thought that. Europe would be a phenomenal season for them. Top seven would be a really good season for them. And now they're on the verge of, you know, chasing down my mob in in, in second. Um, so I, I think the job that they've done there has been really, really good. Again, I'm a bit like Liverpool. I'm excited to see what they do in the summer to really to kick on because you'd like to think the likes of Chelsea Liverpool will be back in the mix next season for a top four spot. Southampton, they're done. You know, they've, they've given it a good fight, but I, I, I think they are done. Um, I think they've been done for a couple of years. I think they're hanging on, but this is the year where I think it's, it's caught up with them. And that that young squad, that, that route of going for a young squad just hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't worked this season. And yeah, they, they, they gave it a go in this match, but um, I, I, I think they're finished now. That's pretty much Champions League football confirmed, Barney, for Newcastle. Only one defeat at home this season. It is intriguing to look at a what they do in the summer, and I just don't imagine big European sides will love going there. Is that sounds offensive to to Newcastle? Newcastle fans were offended by Spurs players reimbursing their fans for for their for their travel to Newcastle because it was oh were they? It was seen as disrespectful. I mean, it's like a new bar in how offended people can get. I mean, you have to really work to get there. I'm like, okay, it's offensive because your team was really good and you should... I mean, I, I was disappointed at that because Newcastle fans have suffered a lot of stuff under Mike Ashley. I'm sure they can empathise really with how Spurs fans feel watching the team. But they, 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 it's, I think this summer, like Jordan says, will be really important because this current group of players are playing uh, to be part of it, aren't they? They're, they're, who wouldn't want to be in that squad going places, pay rises, new contracts, playing in Champions League. So I think it was, I thought you think it was Ken Early, you put it really well, said so these players are competing against imaginary teammates to be part of this, players who haven't been signed yet. They're competing against, you know, uh, guys who are at Napoli right now to be part of this squad. And it's it's bringing the best down for them. So uh, what happens in the summer uh, will be really interesting because Eddie Howe will want to keep that energy, not dilute it. Um, and sometimes signings don't work out, but they've, they've been pretty sensible so far. Um, it all looks pretty good. Um, the, the goals that the two goals that Newcastle scored to win were very bleak from a Southampton point of view. They were a we're getting relegated uh, couple of goals, weren't they? The, the own goal and then um, uh, Ainsley makes Maitland Niles are sort of passing it to Callum Wilson. Uh, to Old Trafford. Uh, Dan says the Manchester United victory against Villa has come at the perfect time for Jordan. I can't wait to hear his view on more than on this more than the team I support, Arsenal. Ben, well, of course you get Jordan Jarrett Bryan on this week. Mark says, should Emery be sacked after that catastrophic performance, Jordan? <laughs> Listen, I've already. You know, I, I, I should wait. I shouldn't tell you off before you said anything. But like Villa's run has been so good. This was a pretty close game. You know, I'd probably deserved it. Um, and it probably seals the top four. Disappointingly for neutrals, it probably means we know what the top four is. But I, I, I'm I, prepared to hear you go in two-footed on Aston Villa after being like surprising everybody. Well, no, well, they've bottled it, haven't they? They, they could have got they could have got top four. Oh, come <laughs> I on. I joke, I joke, I joke. Um, listen, Villa, Villa have been really good this season. And just I want to just repeat again, 
I have no issue with Aston Villa FC. I actually like Villa. It's the fans I can't stand. So I want to just separate the fans from, from the club. I, I like Villa. Such um, a ridiculous generalisation. But anyway, we move on. <laughs> the amount they DM me, trust me, a lot of them a lot of them are on my case. Um, no, Villa have been really good recently. And I've said I've said before in previous pods, I think I like their squad. I like their midfield. I like what Emre has done there. I think he's really got them into shape um, and got to play some really good football. This game, I, I thought... I thought United were better than a 1-0 win, if I'm being honest. But I don't think it's a reflection of, of, of Aston Villa's you know, run, run of form of the, of the last few weeks. I don't think they'll get top four now. But if they can get European football after you know the sabotage that Steven Gerrard tried to do at that football club, I think that ends up being a really, really good season. And I'm repeating myself for the third time. Again, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next season. Um, and if they can kind of, you know you know, muscle their way into a a, a top six with Spurs in pieces um, and seemingly handing their spots um, up for grabs. I'm I'm keen to see if Villa can really assert themselves, as people tell me, as they're a big club back in, you know, the the, the top reaches of the the league again. Bruno Fernandes with the only goal. Do we, Barney, because he's so annoying, do we sort of forget how good he is and how how important he's been for Manchester United? Yeah, sorry, I'm just feeling intense feelings of relief. As I was sat here thinking, God, Barry's really, he's really vaping hard on that on that vape pin. He's been, he's been, he's still vaping. He's, and then he removed his hand, and it was a biro. Um, uh, I, I thought, been, <laughs> I, I, thought I was, was going to have a word afterwards and just check everything's, you know, all right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Bruno Fernandez is. I, I mean, you assume he's annoying. I mean, he just has a slightly annoying face. Um, which many of us do, you know, uh, as part of the an- annoying face community. I think that that's, uh, I don't, I don't appreciate that kind of talk. And we, you know, we deserve to be respected. Um, I, you know, he's a brilliant player. Uh, I, I think he's been Man United's best signing since uh, Alex Ferguson left. Every manager who's come through there has made him key to their team. And he's had some slightly different roles. And uh, yeah, big fan he's definitely not the problem at that club he is he is the solution to well I mean his solution they're doing very well um and he's another good season he's been a really good Man United player and you can't really say that for too many people who've come in for a lot of money in the last 10 years uh, there was a protest uh, against the Glazers uh, before the game uh, Jim Ratcliffe has put in a higher value on the club than Sheikh Jassim of Qatar but Jassim wants 100% of the club. Jim Ratcliffe wants 69%, so the Glazers will still have a share. Um, we will talk about this as a No, no, we should talk about happens. it now. Uh, Leicester Everton. Great. The football fans protest. The things that football fans are getting angry about now relate to um, share-to-value agreements, to- ownership by certain financial <laughs> instruments. The fans are now demanding a total transfer of equity. When do we want it? We want it now. I mean, it's just uh, amazing <laughs> that this is where football has gone, that there are people marching, uh, unhappy about the exact arrangement of the financial holding company and the identity of sort of key investors and ownership in fee simple of the ground. I mean, we're, we're obviously an incredibly um, intelligent and well-educated group of people who uh, are able to get angry about such things. I mean, I don't, I don't see any good outcome there. I really don't. It's a... It's a it's a really alarming moment for English football. Um, can you imagine the three way tension uh, if Qatar is successful in their bid, and you have Abu Dhabi, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia? Is a terrible outcome to have three regional powers owning these clubs, 
pumping money into the league uh, and with their own interests. Uh, and, and it's something that we talk about having a regulator, talk about government actually caring what happens to this sport. If that situation uh, appears to be where we're heading, everyone should be concerned. Mm. And you fear there isn't really a way to reverse it. Um, uh, and yes, it's bleak. Sometimes I don't want to think about it. And then when you do think about it, you think, uh, you wrote a good piece about City the other day, Barney. And I actually screen grabbed a paragraph of, you know, um, just so I could remind myself, this is how to articulate it. I'm reading your own words to you, Barney, but I thought it was it might be worth it. It's also important to remember why this is happening. It's time to restate these things as the project reaches its final stage. This is not a soft regime. Abu Dhabi is an ambitious carbon power run by an inherited royal family. Abu Dhabi has a record of alleged and, of course, denied human rights abuses and structural prejudice. Abu Dhabi believes homosexuality should be illegal, that wealth and power should be unchallenged by things such as democracy and social mobility. Abu Dhabi also believes that it can exist comfortably alongside states who don't believe these things by, among many other things, transforming English football's top tier into a high visibility PR vehicle and very similar could be said of Qatar with PSG at the moment and if they get Manchester United and with Saudi Arabia and Newcastle United um, Are you giving balance there? Other despotic regimes are also available (laughs) (laughs) It is not good Um, It's not nice You should feel uneasy about it No matter how successful how good your football club is Do all that but we are right to make a demand of you as well Um, you know, clean your act up rather than cleaning your your reputation. Um, it's it's not good. I agree. Uh, Leicester Everton tonight. Uh, Arsenal Chelsea on Tuesday. We'll cover them both on Wednesday. Uh, Celtic beat Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi final. Um, we will find some time to do some proper fit bar in the EFL. No time, I'm told, for EFL. But we are doing a pod. Uh, after the final day to round up absolutely everything. If you're inv- as invested as I am, you know exactly what your team has to do. And mine is beat Burton on Wednesday and beat Forest Green on Sunday. While me and Barry are on air on the radio, I will be absolutely fucking useless on that radio show, Barry, just to let you know. Uh, let us finish with a couple of AOBs. Uh, Visit Spain says, uh, read the conversation about the coronation and Prince Charles uh, getting the Europa League music instead of uh, Zadok the Priest and the Champions League music. Maybe we can take it a step further and put the crown in that little car used for football. It could drive the crown to the throne. Maybe Charles could take the crown early and the car could chase him. I'm absolutely in favour of this. And an email from Roxana who says, Dear Football Weekly, following on from the discussion of Jonathan Wilson's love of Les Mis and the discussion of a hypothetical Ray Mears musical, it crossed my mind that many musicals are based on source material from other the media how would wilson feel about inverting the pyramid the musical uh, though i've read even less of it than barry i.e none it sounds tailor-made for the stage think of the choreography of the wm formation or the tension when one of the true center halves drops into the defensive line as a spotlight shines brightly on them the rest of the players frozen and in darkness laugh at the english disdain for scotland's passing game a static grid of mustachioed men with turned up shirt collars some smoking pipes swoon at the marvelous magyars and cry as they fall in the miracle of burn rock on to the heavy metal of football of Dortmund and Liverpool. Maybe the showstopper will be Italy-Brazil 1982. Somehow it must feature a certain Portuguese manager who haunts the bowels of the theatre. Alternatively, perhaps we can look forward to a Football Weekly the musical. Or have you done this at your live live shows? Featuring Barney transforming from a badger in a waistcoat into the new reconstituted man of cheer he is today. A Jets and Sharks number with a rival pod culminating in Louis Philippe leading everyone to storm the barricades of FIFA headquarters. Long-time fan of the pod, Rocks. Um, Barney, are you in for that for the live shows? 
I mean, I think that the Inversing the Pyramid musical is a natural. I mean, the book is just so full of flair, you know, passion, um, decorative touches. I think you'd call it you'd call it pyramid with an exclamation mark, wouldn't you? Pyramid, um, the musical. We could get John Cusack in to play Charles Charles Reap. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if he's available. I just checked, by the way, Barney, that Say Anything, which is the the movie in which he stood outside serenading the woman with uh, the boombox in his raincoat, with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows, by the way. That's quite a look. Uh, that was his ter- 13th film. Wow. Wow. Wow, I was expecting something more interesting Barry, <laughs> yeah, about about that. You're going to say just before uh, that happened, he had signed, you know, a Paraguayan fullback who actually turned out to be a great signing, which he sold on for <laughs> sixty million. Our EFL supporting listeners will be slightly disappointed we've spent more time on John Cusack <laughs> than who's made the playoffs and who's been relegated. But look, we will, I promise you, at some point, redress this. Uh, but that'll do for today. Thank you, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Barney. Cheers. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.